Hi there, and welcome back to another edition of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. I'm the executive producer, Colin Morgan, and today on the show, we get to hear the inside story of Stripe's acquisition of indie hackers. But before we get there, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, be sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you love this show and want to help support Built to Sell Radio, you can head over to Apple Podcasts where there you have a chance to leave a rating and review. Okay, so now let me tell you a little bit about today's guest, Channing Allen, who along with his brother, Cortland, founded Indie Hackers in 2016. Now, as you're about to hear, they sold Indie Hackers a mere eight months after launching the company. Now, while you're listening to today's episode, I want you to look out for not only why Stripe was interested in acquiring the business, but the crafty techniques him and his brother used to build a thriving online community. Lastly, Channing mentioned an article he turned to when negotiating the sale of indie hackers, which he found super helpful. And I went and I actually found this article and linked it in the show notes section, which can be found over at builttosell.com. There's some really unique things within that article that I think you would truly enjoy. So again, that can be found in the show notes section over at builttosell.com. Now, without further ado, here to share with you the full story is Channing Allen. Enjoy. Channing Allen, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hi, John. Nice to, nice to meet you. It's so good to get you on the show because I know you don't do a lot of stuff outside of Indie Hackers. So it's pretty cool that uh, we get a chance to talk about this incredible success story. I, I've heard of Indie Hackers, and I'm sure lots of people have, but I'd love for you to tell me the founding story. Take me back to how this all began. What was the genesis of this idea? The genesis of this idea uh, began with my brother and co-founder, uh, Cortland. He, we launched Indie Hackers, I think, in 2017, but he had been building startups since you know college. Uh, so I don't know, 10, 10 years or so before that. Um, and so you know, he built, I think, seven, seven different startups. If you're familiar with uh, Y Combinator, he sure. got one of them you know, in, into that program and uh, didn't really have a whole lot of success ultimately with them. Um, and so meanwhile, between each attempted you know, uh, takeoff and, and you know, sort of unsuccessful landing, he's a really good developer. And so he would pick up consulting work. And I was the exact same. We, we both lived in San Francisco. Um, I taught myself how to code in order to, to, to you know, pay my way in San Francisco. And so I was doing consulting as well. And he decided he wanted to do another startup. And um, instead of just launching, going in and you know, coming up with an idea and, and trying his luck uh, the, the old fashioned way, he decided, okay, well, let me take a step back. Let me go. And uh, he went on to Hacker News, which is like this big forum for, you know, where, where a lot of people, like a lot of tech startup people go and they talk about their businesses. And he's like, I'm going to find some people who have shared their stories transparently um, and see if I can get an idea from them. See if, see if I can, you know, learn about how they vetted different ideas because he and I, and I think most people who are entrepreneurs have a, a long list of ideas and it's, it's useful to try to, you know, find the, the common denominator out of like maybe, a, you know, a few different stories of people who have been successful. 
And the really cool twist there is that as he looked on Hacker News and looked on uh, on different websites to try to find these stories where people were transparent about what worked, what didn't work, how they came up with their idea, how they built it, etc. He noticed a kind of meta detail, which is that all of their stories themselves were hits. Like these things went viral. Um, if someone, you know, had the the transparency and frankly the goodwill to say, hey, here's what I'm making and you know, here's here's how I've done it. Everyone else, Cortland wasn't alone, right? There were a million other people who were who were lapping that up like catnip. And so it kind of hit him. Maybe that will be my idea. Maybe if I get a lot of these stories, a lot of people who are open to what we call building in public and open to being transparent about their revenue, open to being transparent about how they found their first, how they found their co-founder and solved a lot of these common problems. And he and he put puts them all on the same page, like maybe that will be a hit. And he didn't know. Um, so, so he did that. He reached out to a lot of these people who had already sh- shared their stories, um, sent something like a hundred cold, cold emails. Most of them said, you know, hell no, I'm not interested in that. But about 10 said yes. Uh, and so I was living with him and he reached out to me and helped me. He's like, he's like, Hey, you know, we've, I've got, I've got all these stories. I want to launch this quickly. Um, so I helped him edit them and, and, and did some, you know, sort of looked over his shoulder a bit and we got about 10 stories. We, he, he launched it with minimal effort and it was just a smash hit from day one. When you say launched it, what Mm -hmm. is it like when I think of a website, I think of like an ink.com, which (laughs) is sort of a traditional magazine's attempt to create uh, a digital version of itself. Sure. Describe for folks who haven't seen Indie Hacker what it looked like. Day one, Indie Hackers was, um, think of it as a really good looking blog. Um, at the top, you know, let's, you know, I'm, I'm being literal when I say this is, this is the version that we launched. Um, it was the top, it just said, learn how developers are making money. That was kind of the, the tagline or the, the title. And then it was just a grid of 10 posts where, you know, the first post was like, you know, Peter Levels, uh, you know, makes $100,000 with Nomad List, you know, and it was just a, that. And then, you, and then you had a few other stories. And again, you had like 10 of these. Um, revenue transparency was a big thing. You know, it's, it, it declared that right there. Um, and then when you click into any of these stories, it was fairly simple. It was just, let's say 12. It was, you know, sort of a, it was an interview, a questionnaire. Um, that you know, we sent them the email. And we we asked them the questions. They gave us the answer. We just uh, translated that into a post, and they they answered frankly or, or or typically it was you know how did you come up with your idea, how much are you making, how did you build it, um, you know how did you find your first customer, just the very uh, standard questions, and they were typically the the kinds of questions that that everyone has to go through. So they were all the early getting started questions because once a company gets to some type of scale, well now every company is different. So we we covered just the just the bare bones basics that that everyone has to go through. Um, you had about that times 10. The revenue amounts ranged from for the most part, I think it was you know up to say a company that was doing like seventy thousand dollars a month. You had some that were as uh, as low as ten thousand dollars a month, but one thing that was very unique about 
this particular set of, of entrepreneurship stories is that none of them had raised cash. None of them had, had raised capital from, from venture capitalists or investors. Um, they were all bootstrapped. Um, and the, the one wrinkle about that, that made indie hackers so unique that separated us from, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, uh, tech publications, there's tech crunch and all the rest of them. Well, most of the stories on a tech crunch are about, you know, this so-and-so company has raised, you know, a B around for, for this many millions of dollars. Uh, tech crunch is, if it's basically targeting investors and investors want to know about the company that's going to go public. They want to know about, you know, companies that are going to, going to disrupt tech, going to disrupt the way that we do things. And so, you know, we're, we're dealing with, you know, uh, uh, unicorns, but meanwhile, all of these stories, so what we called indie hackers, that's, that's the name of the company, but it's also in a sense, the name of the category of entrepreneurs. Um, these are the stories that don't get uh, told in, in like the tech crunches. And yet, if you are a developer and you're working a nine to five and you're pretty talented and you're like, well, I could do that, but you know, I don't want to necessarily go to a venture capital. You know, I don't want to go and ask for permission and sell 50% of the ownership. Um, that's what we were highlighting. So, so smart. When you think of, I think of it as like equal parts inspiration and education. There's an inspirational yeah. element, right? But there's also a, a, an educational element. If you could have a, a pie, what proportion of the slice would you say in those early days was inspiration versus education? In the early days, it's changed. So in the early days, I would say it was mostly inspiration. Hmm. Um, there was an educational aspect, of course. Um, you know, one of the best ways to learn is by looking and learning by example. Um, but that wasn't really an explicit function. I would say that if you if you want to educate people on entrepreneurship, you know, typically you want to have a more sort of systematic approach like, hey, you know, here are the different discrete problems that you might have, uh, you know, getting started with a company, you know, and here's an answer, you know, he, you know, here are these, you know, sort of uh, uh, search engine optimized, you know, here's how you can, you know, here's how you can come up with different business ideas. Here's how you vet ideas. Here's, and, you know, if you Google any of those kinds of questions, you'll find a million hits. Um, sure. What we did was, was I think it mostly served the function of inspiring people, mostly because for one, again, this was a category of entrepreneurship that people didn't, you know, a tremendous amount of people didn't even know was really an option, right? Um, so it unlocks a path that a lot of people don't even, aren't even aware of. Um, another element that I think kind of skewed the function that, you know, the, the, the impact toward uh, inspiration is that, again, these weren't, the Elon Musks of the world. These weren't, you know, the the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. There was no sense that, you know, this is yet another boy genius who drops out of college, you know, whips up an <laughs> app in, in five days, you know, you know, sleeps in the office and then has this this, you know, um, this behemoth. These were people who were doing side projects. Um, these were people who built, you know, like to do list apps. Um, these were people, some of whom weren't even technical. They, they weren't necessarily developers. They had, it might be in the case, uh, something that I know you know a lot, of, uh, a lot about, productized services. Um, some, you know, some people had, a, had newsletters that were making like $50,000 a month. Hmm. And they, they share the step-by-step -step 
they share the behind the scenes of, um, of, of how they got to where they were. And, you know, the magic is dispelled. And almost all of these stories, like these aren't people who are doing crazy things that you read it and you go, there, there's no way I could do that. It's, it's all like, well, I could do that, right? How did you convince people to tell their stories? Um, there was kind of a cool selection bias in that the easiest way to find out about the, you know, the candidates that, that mostly my brother reached out to um, is that they were already sharing their stories. Uh, this will be kind of topical right now. Um, Elon Musk is making a lot of headlines because one of the things that he's doing is he's building in public. He's, 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 you know, sort of casting all of these little feature bets and product bets with Twitter. Um, and in a lot of ways, they aren't huge departures from the ways that big companies, you know, test things, except that he's so public, he's so out in the open. He's, you know, he's, he, he talks about that. He's like, Hey, we're, you know, we're going to do a bunch of stupid things. And that's totally unheard of. It seems for, you know, you know, a big public company, but, um, there were already, uh, you know, in this space of bootstrappers who weren't necessarily backed by, by venture capital. Um, this was a really common thing. I mean, even right now, if you type hashtag build in public on Twitter or in a lot of places, you'll find tons of people who are doing this. It's kind of a marketing tactic, right? If you're not getting, um, if you're not, you know, getting press and, and tech crunch and whatnot, but you're doing something that's really cool and inspiring. And you just say, Hey, listen, I'm just going to, you know, make a, you know, make a post, make a tweet every you know week about my revenue and, and the things that I'm trying and, and my small, but devoted group of customers is going to see it and, and lap it up. Um, these people, in, in other words, were already doing this. And so we, we reached out to people that were already transparent, even then, Again, 90% of the people that we reached out to were like, hey, listen, no, probably <laughs> because it required an obligation. They, they didn't, you know, we weren't, we weren't a big brand at that time. Um, it was just a random person reaching out. Um, but the 10 that said yes were, were, you know, shifted everything overnight. And, you know, in week two, people were coming to us. Hey, we're going to get back to the episode in just a moment. Before we do, though, if your goal is to create a self-managed business, one that can thrive without you, you need standard operating procedures so your employees know what to do when you're not around. SOPs can be really powerful if you create them right, but there are some mistakes a lot of people make in creating SOPs, including the medium you use and the way you actually create them. We've put together a little ebook that you can download for free just go to builttosell.com slash S-O-P. Now back to the show. And that's how you started to grow from the 10 original articles to much more. How, like, yeah. I usually ask this question and, you know, how many, how many years or how many decades did, mm. you know, did it take before you got to the point of wanting to sell? But I know in your case, we have to do months because yeah. it didn't even take a year. So give me a sense of where you got before receiving that fateful email. Like how, any proxy for size in terms of page views or revenue or sure. give, give us a sense of where you were. It was pretty small. We were pretty small. It, it, uh, at the time, it was mostly a, it was mostly a function of we were growing quickly and I'll, and I'll get into some numbers in a, in a moment, but we were growing quickly and we were growing in the right places. So, um, 
to kind of give away, in a sense, the punchline, I mean, ultimately, you know, we were going to be acquired by Stripe. Um, And Stripe is this, you know, big tech unicorn. And if you are a tech startup today, Y Combinator or uh, Hacker News is 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 the watering hole. It's the place where big announcements get get made. It's the place where you know the next big thing gets talked about. And um, I would say that at that time, by the time Patrick reached out and sent an email, you know, uh, asking about how interested we you know we'd be in and being acquired, um, I think we probably were getting you know two thousand page views. Uh, a day, maybe 2000, actually probably about 2000 unique uh, visitors every day. Um, by that time, we had a forum, we had uh, a newsletter that maybe had, uh, you know, 10,000 subscribers. Um, and we were doing a new interview every week. But one of the, the, the things that was really remarkable is that, as I mentioned, we launched with a website that had 10 individual stories on it. And that, you know, was the top of Hacker News. You know, we had, it, it, you know, it was it, the, the article went viral. But the staying power of, you know, each, almost every other week, the article that we would, we would do with, you know, some new founder interviewing them and getting their transparent story, almost all of them were hits. Almost all of them went viral. Um, and so we were a mainstay. We were the talk of the town. We were a new category of entrepreneurship. So that kind of gives you a sense, um, you know, what else did we have? Uh, Cortland had just begun a podcast. Uh, it was very fledgling at the time. What about revenue? Like, what was the revenue model? The revenue model was uh, sponsorships on the podcast. We had uh, a couple of sponsors on the podcast. We had, um, we had a, a, we did ads on the website as well. So again, if you imagine. You know, at by the time we we got the first person who reached out to to buy ad spots on the site, we probably had like twenty different articles, and this was just a really native. You know, we just the the, the company that we sponsored, we just did an interview with them, just like everyone else. Um, but we put them smack dab in the center, um, and ultimately, I think, I mean, it was it was again knowing that we were going to get acquired. This is going to sound crazy, but we were probably bringing in eight thousand dollars a month from from ads uh and sponsorships and again with with very minimal effort on our part uh the finding ads wasn't wasn't a big focus it was just we were still shocked at at the the rate of growth we were still shocked um at uh at the success that we had at the the amount of attention that we had at the time and we were mostly thinking about growing we were mostly thinking about 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 products and at the time, were you and Cortland still working in other jobs, or were you then dedicated one hundred percent? So at that time, ads? Cortland had uh, Cortland was had had quit recently. Had quit um, his uh, he was doing consulting, web dev consulting. Um, he I think with the you know the, the by the third Hacker News hit piece, he said sayonara to that. I think he had about a year of runway saved up. Um, I was doing consulting. I was helping with indie hackers on the side, increasingly seeing the attention that was coming to it and realizing like, hey, this is, you know, we've really got something here and pouring more more and more of my time into it. Um, And interestingly, we've never, I've never asked Patrick Collison, the Stripe CEO, uh, if, if 
this had any bearing on it. Um, but right before he reached out and emailed Cortland, there was something that there was something that was really important that we were doing on the site, which is we recognized, hey, we've got all these eyeballs. We've got at this point in time, you know, we had a, a, a forum that was, uh, you know, I don't know. I think we maybe had like three hundred pretty active members at the time, and 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 things were really ramping up. And we decided, hey, listen, we need to really consider, you know, a more mature revenue model. Um, we, you know, we're, we're thinking. So we we began to be very public. This is again goes back to that build in public concept. You know, we were making posts on our forum saying, okay, it's time for us to to monetize with more than just ads. You know what? Does everyone in the community think about, for example, us pay gating the community? Uh, what about if we do this? What if, we, you know, um, and almost all of our ideas were around maybe creating a kind of quote mastermind uh, of the forum. You know, you pay some monthly fee to be part of this. And it's, you know, it's everyone, you know, you, you got to be a serious founder. You have to maybe have some revenue. Um, and these avenues would have made this a much better business. But they also would have um, had a pretty negative impact on on our growth or the amount of eyeballs. But that's what we were doing. We were running a business, um, and it was I think it was literally a week after we began to be really serious. Like, okay, here here are three options for monetizing. You know, every last one of them is going to slow the growth of the of the forum, but make this a good business. Uh, Cortland got an email from Patrick Collison. Um, the subject line in all undercase letters: "Acquire Indie Hackers?" Question mark. Um, and so I've always kind of speculated that maybe he was like, "Hey, listen, don't don't kill this, don't kill this thing that's you know possibly inspiring new people to build websites that might eventually become Stripe customers." Because Stripe was thinking, you, you know, a rising tide raises all boats, right? Like the more independent entrepreneurs who build successful companies, the more of them are going to choose Stripe to process their payments. Is that was that the thinking? That's exactly right. I mean. Stripe is 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 in a uniquely really good position where, look, the the product is just really solid, and I say that not because I'm hired, you know, I, I work at Stripe, but it's it's just sort of a fact. Um, and and one of the implications of that fact is that, you know, especially at the time, Stripe didn't have a massive sales team. Stripe didn't have a massive marketing team. They focused on their product. Um, and you know, let's say something like, you know, fifty percent of new developers or founders who decide that they want to create an internet company are just by by default going to channel they're going to choose uh, stripe as their payment gateway mm -hmm. so for them the value add isn't so much in like getting the word out about stripe it's just creating a bigger pool of new entrepreneurs um and as straightforward as that sounds you know you're a, you're a smart business guy. Like, what are you going to do to 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 create that? Right? It's 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 so fuzzy. Let's you know that if the, you know if the 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 business case is okay. Well, let's go and inspire new people, non entrepreneurs, to become entrepreneurs. Where do you even start? Um, so th this is something that when, once we came on to Stripe, we learned that they had a bunch. Of, they they they'd done a lot of a spitballing of ideas of how to do it. Um, and it's you know what do you do? You, do you do you create a community? How do you get that community going? There's this difficulty with network effects, right? Um, you know, there's no straightforward path uh, to getting that done. On top of which, Stripe has, you know, just some of the most talented, intelligent people that I've ever met that work, uh, you know, that, that that are their developers and that that work at Stripe. 
but they're not necessarily entrepreneurs. They don't, they don't like that, you know, that isn't their identity. They're not from that community. And so to ask people who are, I don't know, you know, talented company developers or talented company marketers to create, you know, some sort of a, a content or community engine that inspires new people is a huge thing to ask for. So right at that time, who do they find, you know, getting to the top of Hacker News every, you know, every week or, or, or having some, you know, tw- viral, you know, tweet thread uh, coming out. And, and, and that was us. So I think in a lot of ways, we were in the right place at the right time. So let's go back. So you're, you're eight months in, as I understand yeah. the business, like literally you're counting your, your tenure in months, not years. You're eight months in, you got a couple thousand page views a day, 300 active members on a forum, 10,000 subscribers to a newsletter. I mean, this is, this is not a big business, this, no. this, but, but it's growing, but it's not a big business. You got maybe eight grand worth of revenue a month in, in various forms of advertising and sponsorship on the pod. And did you have any sense, did you or Cortland have any sense of what it might be worth? Like, did you, were you working on any valuation metrics of, of, you know, media companies trade at X or did you have any sense of what you were building might be worth one day? We really didn't. Um, this was, I mean, good on Stripe perhaps, but you know, they got us right at the time where we began to reflect on that. Um, one of the, one of the, the inspirations or let's say, uh, one of the, the elements of why Cortland decided on, you know, the, the simple V1 of what Indie Hackers was in the first place is that I think that previous startups that he had built, he did all of that thinking. He, he, you know, he spent months agonizing over all of these details that would be, you know, come to fruition and be relevant in year two, three, and four and the valuation. He, 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 he began thinking big and those didn't work out. And so I think that the, the big point of emphasis with indie hackers was like, let, let's just solve a real problem and let's do it in a way where we can, uh, you know, kind of quickly disconfirm that this is a good hypothesis early if it doesn't work out. You know, like, let's just try to get this thing out. Uh, the website was fairly simple. I think, you know, he whipped it up in like a week. Um, obviously, this was, you know, th- there was some time that it took to, to send the emails and like put that together. But I mean, as far as product development is concerned, it was really, it was really, really uh, uh, quick. But the, in a sense, the downside of all of this is, there wasn't a tremendous amount of looking ahead. It was like, okay, well, let's just get to, to, to step one. And then we got to step one. And then that revealed the presence of step two, right? Um, and then we kind of parlayed the, the capital from step one to step two, and then we parlayed it. And, and I think that right when they reached out, that was when, again, we're thinking about revenue models. Part of, part of that uh, uh, process really did begin to factor in, okay, you know, what is our long-term plan? Um, and frankly, th- the other wrinkle is this community, indie hacker, the indie hackers community was kind of different um, from a lot of traditional startups and that there usually isn't a tremendous emphasis on how are you going to exit? How are you going to raise cash? So many of the heroes, so many of the indie hackers heroes, there's a guy named Peter Levels, who's probably the, he's the, probably one of the only people who's gotten a lot of press um, for a company called Nomad List. And I think about seven other companies that, you, you know, that he's very transparent about 
um, where he's making millions of dollars a year, but doing very little, uh, uh, you know, doesn't really require a lot of effort from him. Um, in a sense, the dream is that you just have this thing that you put, you know, a few hours of work into a week and then everything else is gravy and it just prints money for you. Um, so that was kind of where we were at the time. And had you formalized things between you and your brother? Like, it sounds pretty iterative. It wouldn't be surprising to know that you had not, for example, written a shareholders agreement. Right. Or <laughs> had you guys done any of that stuff? No, no. He was just giving me, he was, I mean, this was like so, so informal. In fact, I would say one of the, it's, it's kind of typical again about uh, typical with with indie hackers companies um if you go to the forum you'll you'll very frequently see you know hey i'm i'm generating x amount a month i've got all these users i've got this newsletter you know should i incorporate you know should i have some sort of a privacy policy should i like you know where does the legal stuff come in um yeah. and i think that again we were we were at that stage where you know we're, we're twin brothers we're uh, fraternal twins um and he was just kind of giving me a cut and i was sort of helping him out. I mean, this was so, so informal. And, you know, the, the second the, um, we began negotiating with Stripe and there was one point where it was all very informal. It was Patrick Collison, uh, sending DMS to Cortland. And then one day it wasn't Patrick, it was just legal counsel from Stripe. And suddenly things got very real. And, you know, as soon as that happened, Cortland and I started to really, really discuss some of these details, what the cuts would be. And, and, you know, I mean, it was very real overnight, but that was also the beginning of us really thinking seriously about, you know, like formal official business considerations. How did you guys stick handle those conversations? Because I get that you're twins, that comes with a closeness, but oftentimes a rivalry as well, right? Sure. Like how did you guys stick handle some of the, the questions about who got what share and, and, uh, and the rest of it? Um, it was it was fairly straightforward. Um, Cortland was the one that created it. You know, he was the one who who got it off the ground. I came in to help afterwards, and so it was. You know, for for me, it was. It, I don't even think that we really negotiated. Like the the two of us, I don't think we really went back and forth. That you know, I didn't have the A position then you know, that, that that he countered with his position. Um, I think most of our focus, again, because the negotiations with Stripe. And unfortunately, I mentioned this before, um, we're, we're legally required to kind of be mum about a lot of the details, but I can say, look, it was a life-changing amount of money um, for this acquisition, you know, in the context of both of us are developers who, who make, you know, Silicon Valley salaries. And, you know, I live in, I live in New York and, I'm, and I've lived in New York for a while. He, you know, he was in San Francisco um, and, you know, this was an offer that we couldn't refuse. Um, type of money, but I can't get into the details around that. And so in that context with, 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 with that scale of, of a, of an exit looming and, 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 you know, being part of the discussion that we were having, I think we were much more focused on working with Stripe and figuring out what that would be. Um, and, you know, the, the difference and, and, and what we ultimately would settle on wasn't really, you know, it, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't enough that it would, you know, rankle either of us, him for, you know, starting everything or, or me for just, you know, 
frankly, I'm the older brother. So, so this is something that I, that I, that I, that I might be resentful of, but no, it was, it really wasn't a big deal. Got it. So what was your reaction? Who, so it sounds like Cortland got the original email from mm-hmm. Patrick. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And he flipped it to you, as I understand it, after a, a flight to Mexico. So you I mean, immediately, and- immediately called, um, you know, I mean, I think he, he messaged everyone in his network immediately. Yeah. And, and what was your reaction when, when you first saw the email? Honestly, my reaction was, I didn't believe it first off. And I, and I would later on come to, to understand like, you know, one of, uh, so Pat, it was Patrick Collison's email. Like I said, it was all in, in lowercase letters. You know, this is, this is a big deal. This is a literal big deal. Um, you know, this is a, a a startup company that at the time I think was worth ten billion dollars. Now they're well in the recession. I think they're 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 down to like seventy five billion dollars. But um, you know, like this isn't a, a a casual kind of a conversation. And yet he was just so casual. Uh, you know, he he would fire things off. Now I understand. Look, and I and I'm I'm I'm, I'm similar now. But I mean, he's just he just moves fast. Everything that he does, he, he moves fast. When he talks, he moves fast. When, he's, when he types, he moves fast. Um, but, you know, Stripe at the time, and I think, you know, e- even now is like, they're the it company. They are like the tech, the tech unicorn that in, in the current, you know, sort of economic uh, downturn, they just laid off, I think, 14% of the company a, a couple of weeks ago, but they're still extremely sound. Um, you know, there's still, you know, the, the, everybody's waiting for them to go public, et cetera. And they had that rumor, like, you know, that was the trajectory. That was the rumor trajectory even back then. So the idea that, that we, a glorified, a glorified blog, um, who, yeah, we're going viral in Hacker News, but again, $7,000 a month, we didn't have a clear business plan. Um, the idea that that was going to be a, you know, a, a serious thing was hard for me to process. Like, I think, I think we really got a, you know, a week and a half or so into the acquisition process before it really hit me that, you know, this is something that, you know, I, we, we really need to start kind of restructuring our lives around. It's so funny. Cause if you and I were, were riffing on who would be the likely acquirer, Stripe would be like the last company on my mind. I right. would immediately think, okay, you guys are a media company, so it would be Mansueto Ventures of Inc. or Forbes who wants to get into, you know, or some sort of media property. I would not have thought Stripe. And so it's just fascinating. But then I think about it, it, it with some time to reflect. And I think, of course, it's a perfect acquisition for Stripe in the sense that it's got, uh, it, it, you know, it grows the the entire universe of people that need their product so it's but i wouldn't have initially thought of it and so i i wondered to you you know what did you do next so you get this email i mean did how did you validate its authenticity <laughs> like did you like did you like what did you do next conversations right it was um again patrick patrick moves fast uh courtland sent an email back and said Sure, you know, of course I'd be interested, and and they actually went and they they had a co- like they they went and got coffee at a coffee shop. So I mean, you know, very very immediately the the idea that this was a, a scammer, you know, pulling our legs, um, we got disabused of that of that terrible nightmare really quickly. 
Um, but I have to say to, to, to the idea of, of, of kind of seeing this kind of a partnership coming, um, typically what, what we do is we speak about it being a strategic acquisition and, you know, Hey, listen, Stripe is a payments gateway and we are inspiring more people to even be you know eligible for that. And, 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 and that's the angle that, that, that we explain, but in recent years, I've kind of seen it differently. And I, and I, I think of it as, as making even more sense to an extent, which is that there's been a bit of a shift in like startups and in the tech world generally toward wanting to own and control more of their media. I think that, you know, the, the 2010s and the, and the 20 aughts, uh, tech was like a media darling, right? Because, you know, you had Facebook, you had all these, these industry uh, shifting technologies that change the way that we use cell phones and change the way that we do everything. And from about 2010 until, until the present day, most tech news is really pretty sour. Um, you know, there's, I mean, you, you won't find a single good story about Elon Musk. You won't find, and I'm not weighing in on what, you know, what I feel about this just as a, as a kind of description of the landscape. And so the move by Elon Musk and then moves by other people in tech, I think A16Z, um, they have their own podcast that they launched not too, not too long ago. Um, there's one of the, one of the biggest podcasts, uh, in the business industry right now is the all in podcast, which with a few billionaires, uh, billionaire investors who are, are, are trying to own more of their own press. I think this is a trend and, uh, the, the early signs of that, this is, you know, 20, 2017 when we, when we got acquired, the early signs of that were already there. And so I think that that was another angle that Stripe was looking at. Um, because again, you can't just throw money uh, at the problem of suddenly having a, 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 you know, uh, a media company or, or a voice that has credibility. I mean, it kind of has to be grown from the ground up. So how did Patrick approach the structuring of the deal? Because clearly he wanted you and Cortland to stay. I'm assuming right. that was part of the initial conversation at that coffee shop. How did he structure it? Again, I, I, my, my hands are a little bit tied. I can, uh, I, I can maybe try to nibble around the edges, but um, just from, from an incentive standpoint, what they wanted was they wanted us to keep running indie hackers. I can tell you, um, you know, we don't really interface with the Stripe machine very much, even to this day. This is you know, five years later. Um, we run relatively independently, and so the deal that they that they that they set was something that you know they wanted us to you know the, again there was a again I'll, I'll say life changing amount of money that went into the deal, um, but the structure was in such a way as you know to incentivize us to 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 stay on and to keep running this, um, and it doesn't hurt at all that this was the company that we were already running. This was the mission that we already wanted to, to, to be on. So, um, that's certainly a piece of it as well, but, um, you know, it, it obviously to have a stay on for the, for the whole time, you know, it, it can't be necessarily one upfront kind of, a, a an arrangement, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure it does. And again, if I ask you questions that you can't answer, I totally respect the, the need to defer. I think people would be curious to know whether 
it was structured as an equity rollover, meaning the Stripe bought the majority, but you continued to own some of the shares and would benefit in a future exit uh, of in- indie hackers. Or if there were Stripe shares involved and you would benefit from the, the increase in Stripe shares, or if they structured it more as an earnout, which would be more typical of a very independent business that had, you know, could call its own shots and mm-hmm. there was some incentive to hit certain targets. Are you able to kind of, again, nibble at the edges of either of those three or was it maybe a different approach that they took? I can't say what we did. Um, what I will, what I will uh, acknowledge is, is that the options that you just named on the table are the, are the kinds of options um, that were floated. I mean, look, there's, there's uh, the idea of, uh, there's an option of like how much you get in, in Stripe equity. There's, a, there's the option of, um, of an earnout. There's an option of, of cash salary. And uh, from their incentive standpoint, I think that indie hackers, I mean, this is this is sort of relevant to build to sell. I mean, um, there's you know what, what's the what's the term bus test? Cortland and I could get hit by a bus, and we have the network effects. We have this community that that um, is co-creating. You know, I don't know hundreds of posts every every day. A lot of them are really valuable. Um, we 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 have this really big community that works on its own, and at the same time. For the longest time, Cortland was the face of the brand. Um, we have a podcast. You know, we're both on there. That you know, that the podcast doesn't have a whole lot of value. Um, you know, if if we earn out and then we ship out. Um, so all of these were 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 considerations um, that they that they had, and that was ultimately what we what we kind of negotiated. But you know, as to to the paths that we took, like I say, I I think that that's. I can give you those contours, but I can't really tell you the the path that we took. You know, it it, it must have been a very, very thoughtful approach. I mean, Patrick, I don't know the man, but he sounds like a brilliant uh, executive. And I'm sure he gave tremendous thought to this because Cortland, you and Cortland, but, but Cortland in particular, seems like he's got a bit of the entrepreneurial bug, right? Like seven startups, (laughs) you know, like, exactly. you know, he's, he's got an itch that he needs to scratch. And, and it sounds to me like making him feel like an entrepreneur and you feel like an entrepreneur, uh, while being part of Stripe was very important to the structure. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And, and, and look, um, these details were part of our conversation, right? I mean, like this is what we wanted. Um, this is what our community wanted. We 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 spoke about some of this stuff. Um, there's a a kind of unfortunate uh, detail in that you know we're called indie hackers. We're about um, you know the the five word tagline that I use to describe indie hackers on, on you know on elevator rides. Um, you know, is that indie hacking is about gaining freedom. Through permissionless entrepreneurship, and then here, indie hackers was going not indie anymore, um, and so we were very concerned, and we raised these concerns explicitly, like, well, how, you know, how much freedom are we going to have as individual people? Um, how much freedom are we going to have over decision making? And we got a we got a lot of um, 
you know, affirmations like, hey, listen, you know, we just want to make sure that, you know, indie hackers doesn't doesn't die, right? Like this, you know, this, 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 what you guys are doing, that there's a, you know, perfect alignment of our mission. And yet, you know, there were no clauses, um, you know, in, in the agreement that said that we need to remain independent. Like what, what does that even mean? You know, what things could go south revenue wise with Stripe, like there's no way that we could bake that in. And so there's an, ex- there was an extent that this was kind of a, you know, question of trust. Um, but I think that you hit the nail on the head. We are both entrepreneurial and Patrick knows that. And, you know, to the extent that it really is in Stripe's earnest interest to have us continue doing what we're doing and growing. And, and I'm happy to share, you know, I've, I got a lot of inspiration from, from your book, in fact, about how we, we scaled by quite a lot since, since we, we got acquired. Um, and for, for that result to take place, like we really had to feel unfettered by, you know, like big, big company admin and big company, um, you know, like just the, all of the, all of the, the, the trappings that come with kind of having to ask seven people to make a really simple decision. So they unshackled us and, uh, and it turned out that, you know, our, our, our fears were, um, were unwarranted. You know, it's five years later now, maybe more, and and we really do operate extremely independently, and just and just chat. It's almost like Patrick, Patrick Collison, and and, and some of the um, you know the senior leaders at at Stripe are just advisors to us. Do you ever do you ever miss it? Like, do you ever think, ah, oh, maybe I should start something, go back to my roots? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, we we, we definitely do. There's there's a funny. You know, there there really is nothing like needing to make money from revenue, from like you know, sort of the 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 business fundamentals. Um, there's just something different about that than you know, growing and you know, hitting uh, hit, hitting corporate targets and getting a paycheck. Um, and uh, I don't want to say too much, but I mean, look. Uh, the the economy is in a place right now where uh, all of these companies, including Stripe, are in a situation where they they're really trying to lean out. Um, they're trying, you know, the bigger companies are going back to their you know wartime you know roots of of you know um, let's just say making more money than they lose. Um, and as I mentioned, when we got acquired by Stripe, I would say you know. We had maybe two thousand people coming to our website. We were like a forum. We were we had a small Twitter account. We had a small email newsletter. Now we're much bigger. Um, now our brand is much stronger, and the opportunities for the machine that is indie hackers to make money are here. And and it's something that, uh, like I say, even I don't know you know how this is all going to shake out, but it's something that we're really interested in doing again, um, and how that would look. From you know a structural perspective is is up in the air, but not only do we not only do we miss it, but um, it's it's a it's a direction that that we'd be really interested in angling for in the future. How has it affected to to get a, a check for life changing money? You know, it it affects different people different ways, and I'd be curious for you personally how it has affected you on an emotional level. Yeah, for me, I, I'm I'm a pretty interesting guy. Um, 
in that. So, uh, you know, Cortland was spending his seven, you know, he, he did the seven startups before he spent, you know, his time since college hunting for building this big company and having, you know, this life-changing exit. Um, meanwhile, I was an English major. Um, and so I, I, I moved to San Francisco. I needed to make money. I did some sort of quasi startup things. I actually built, uh, while I was teaching myself how to code, I built a viral game, um, like a, a web game that teaches people how to code. And that, that went viral, like, I think kind of soon before, uh, Cortland built indie hackers and he's like, I'm a better you know, developer than you. I can, I can do this. And it kind of lit a fire under his butt. So I was doing that. Um, but my parallel track, uh, is that I spent, you know, in parallel, I, I was writing a novel. Um, and in a lot of ways I spent a lot, I, even to this day, I spend a lot of time thinking about, um, like the psychology of happiness and the, and you know, what it takes to, to have, uh, you know, to, to flourish as human beings. And one of the first things that you'll discover if you, if you look into that kind of research is that money is nice, you know, money makes money makes, uh, you know, inconveniences go away, but you know, soon thereafter you want novelty, you want growth. Um, you, you want like, you know, humans are operating at their optimal, um, when they are really engaged with, with projects that, that are meaningful to them and that, that, you know, tend to have an impact outside of themselves. Um, so I knew that kind of going in and in a lot of ways, that's, you know, I see the life changing some as it's, it's nice because it, uh, you know, I got to set aside ideas of how to make money. Um, but I'm still, you know, I'm, when I'm doing indie hackers, I go all in, um, I, I completely try to immerse myself in the business because that's just it's it's good for its own sake. It's not necessarily an instrumental, um, you know, instrumental to getting paid money. Um, I, I'm still doing a lot of writing. I'm, I've kind of picked that up again. Um, so I don't know. I, I almost kind of I don't want to sound ungrateful, um, but yeah, it, it makes things convenient. Um, but you still, for me, I still want to enjoy the journey, and so I just kind of think about new ways to really, really occupy my brain and, and um, immerse myself in, in projects. You mentioned the network effect of having more people come to the site, more people working uh, and building in public. It's got a bit of a virtuous cycle in the sense that it creates more traffic and more people post and, 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 it, and, it, and it enables the business to, to some extent, sort of create its own, I hate to use the term flywheel, but it's sure. appropriate in this moment, to, to create its own momentum. What else did you do to, to get this business to be less dependent on you and Corlin? This is probably the thing I think that is the most unique about our approach is we kind of see everything from the very beginning before we got acquired by Stripe that we've done as kind of following this, this pattern of, you know, building a product for indie hackers that required, I mean, at the very beginning, it was all very manual, um, getting it to the point where it worked and then finding a way to parlay that into a new product, um, that was a little bit bigger and, and for all, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that, but 
every product decision that we've made, even in the beginning, has followed has has been filtered by the question: How can we essentially crowdsource the production of this product or the maintenance of it, so as not to get on to some sort of a, a, a treadmill um, in a way that just two people can scale it? And so, I mean, the the easiest example is: Look, you know, Cortland for for the the first version of Indie Hackers had to manually reach out to 100 people via cold email. We had nothing else, um, but that worked. And so now we have this small content engine that requires a lot of a lot of input and is definitely not sustainable. But now because we have so much traffic coming, that was when we created the, the forum. And the forum is channeling a lot of a lot of this traffic, again, that's that's manually driven, that's not sustainable channeling it into a place where people can actually have their own conversations and a lot of content that we can use can be seeded. But that transition is not was not easy. It wasn't just we've got the content, now we have the community. So we took a page out of Reddit's playbook. We went and we, we figured out how do you get a forum started? Again, you just mentioned network effects. Well, we had no network. Um, so what we did in that case is Cortland created, I think, 15 fake accounts. I created 15 fake accounts. Um, and frankly, while we were doing these interviews and putting them on Hacker News, we were on our forum simulating the kinds of you know new posts and threads and the kinds of conversations that people might be having that we that that we wanted other people to have. And at the very beginning, our forum was probably thirty members that were really just pseudonyms of Cortland, pseudonyms of Channing. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and and we jumped out of our seats when we caught a fly, right? Here's an authentic person. Here's another authentic person. Oh, here's our first regular, right? Um, and it was it was slow going at first, and then it began to pick up, and we slowly were able to kind of dial down on on our fake accounts, and eventually we had our own, you know, real forum that had real conversations that were novel and surprising even to us, and and that has been the story since then. So, I mean, so we start with just manual content. Now we've got a forum where people are, are writing their, their you know, essentially co-creating content for us. Uh, we had a newsletter. That newsletter was very manual. It was just, as we mentioned before, just kind of build in public. Cortland saying, here's what I did this week. Here's what I did this week. Again, not sustainable. Um, but eventually we had enough you know, we had enough conversations happening on the forum that we were able to supplement Cortland's manual, you know, intros of the newsletter with here are these really interesting conversations happening on the forum. And then now the newsletter is growing in subscribers, right? And so we we had all of these ideas. We had a long grocery list of ideas of products that we thought could be cool uh, on the forum and on the on the website. And we just had to continually run it through the filter. Can you and I do this? You know, name a, a number of hours per week and five hours per week. And have it grow. And if the answer is no, that's a really cool idea. Maybe but that just gets axed. Um, and I would say that the, the last one I'll mention is we eventually created uh, a product directory. And a product directory is just you know, hey, if you're an, uh, you know a member who has an account on Indie Hackers and you have a company, you just create your own product page, a, a page that represents your product. You can put you know the amount of revenue on there. There's a, a timeline of updates. You can get followers. So it's in a sense, a sense, a, a way for people um, to build in public and have a you know sort of a dedicated spot on our website. And the benefit to people who create that is 
when you make an update about your product, it goes to our forum with, you know, at this point we have, you know, 10 to 20,000 individual people who are coming to our forum every day. So, you know, this is a really good marketing opportunity. But again, from our end, now we have this gigantic, I think last time I checked this morning, it was, you know, 17,000 or over 17,000 individual products, you know, and you can, you can filter. So it's, you know, maybe if you're interested in doing research, if you're, if you're interested in doing essentially what Cortland did um, to get inspired and to find ideas that eventually inspired indie hackers, well, now we've got this, this massive directory, um, you know, and, and, and what went into building that directory from our end? I mean, building the code and pointing to it from, say, the newsletter that had begun to grow or, or you know, pointing to it from, from our, you know, our, our list of uh, content on, on the original homepage. So it's it's really just parlaying one essentially crowd like successful crowdsource feature and then stepping back and saying okay well based on essentially the capital right like the the you know the 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 eyeballs that are now coming to this and the amount of trust that's coming from this what other things does this does this unlock and that's been it's, the story for 5 years It's fascinating the idea of crowdsourcing your editorial and at the same time it does pose a risk for Stripe in the sense that you've been amazing at getting your community to uh, to really lean in and share their stories and share their forums and put their postings up in the directory and so forth. And at the same time, you know that's a that's a that is a a powder keg ready to blow if somebody uses it in a, in a, in a nefarious way. So how do you have how do you put control systems in place so that people don't do and say things that would not reflect well on Stripe? Or do you do that? And do you just so? And when you say reflect well, you mean, for example, someone has like a terrible Stripe experience, and they and they go like, "Hey," or, or what? No, I'm thinking, um, you know, so, something misogynistic or something, mm. you know, so, something that's mm -hmm. that's clearly not helpful. But if if the if the community has sort of unfettered ability to yep. self, you, you know, is there a self healing mechanism or is there editorial oversight or like how do you kind of manage that kind of stuff? This is this is very funny and also very apt. Uh, yeah, you know, again, Elon Musk is dealing with the same yeah, thing right in, now, in the context. Right? Like, uh, I, I have a I have a, about a million conversations a, a week it seems with people who all have opinions about you know platforms and how much free speech they should they should allow yeah, yeah. and there's something that I always tell them and this is from this will answer the question um, from running this massive forum you know not Twitter massive but I mean it's really big and obviously um, there's liability to Stripe if we mess up in, in certain ways and that is listen the internet any kind of a, a message board on the internet. Um, that doesn't have some sort of algorithms or some sort of oversight will naturally and inevitably devolve into becoming a cesspool. I mean, it's just like, you know, people are, are going to say stuff. So um, we have a few layers of, of, of constraints here. I mean, number one, we, we have algorithms. There's the, the crowdsourcing itself is actually, once you have enough network effects, once you have enough competent people who are part of the community, and they upvote what's good. They they downvote what's not good. You know, you very rarely have something really terrible that mm. rises into 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 view. Um, you know what you'll find on page one hundred if you keep paging through. That's anyone's business. I wouldn't look back there. You right. know, um, 
But, you know, we also have uh, some moderators who will kind of go in. Um, people frequently will, will send us emails and they're like, you know, hey, here's, here's what's going on. Here's some inflammatory stuff. But the honest truth, and I think this is just, the, there's a kind of self-selection that has made us very lucky and that we aren't just any message board on the internet. We're a message board that is the home of basically just founders, founders of companies. Founders of companies tend to be, I don't know, probably more intelligent than average. They tend to be more responsible. They all have skin in the game. They're all building companies. They all are here. They're coming and contributing by reading and learning or contributing by posting um, with you know very discreet ideas about, about quality. And so by simply handing it off to them, we've gotten really lucky. So we, 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 you know, we haven't had any, uh, any, any really big, uh, mishaps there. One interesting anecdote, like you mentioned, essentially, you know, we're running into hackers. And so how much concern does Stripe have? Because, you know, yeah. kind of we're over here independently. I'll tell you the, the biggest contribution while we've been running into hackers under Stripe, the biggest contribution that, that Stripe has had, and, you know, we don't talk to Stripe. We talk to Patrick Collison typically. Um, the CEO is, I think in like year two or three, he was like, he messaged us out of the blue and said, Hey, why don't you guys do in-person meetups? And we're like, Oh, that sounds like a kind of a cool idea. We'll get back to you in a week. We're going to, we're going to, you know, figure out what all, like all these legal agreements, because we're thinking we're already a global, uh, you know, we have, we have people all over. I think, you know, America, uh, American, uh, um, you know, accounts in our community are probably the plurality of people, but they're only probably 40%, you know, we have, hmm. you know, huge, you know, numbers of people that are, that are in Europe. I think that the, the business model of being a bootstrapper is more appealing when you get away from Silicon Valley. So we're like, okay, so basically the entire globe is going to be meeting in person <laughs> under the Indie Hackers banner. Like we need to draw up a million different agreements and maybe think about legal counsel. No and, liability there. <laughs> and, and, and Patrick responded and he was like, that's, that sounds like a, a cool, interesting approach. Um, why not instead? Why don't you just throw up a website and say sign up here and then just see what happens? <laughs> Again, you know, this is the same guy that you know did an undercase acquired indie hackers. He's he's very into moving fast, uh, and we did it. We just we just created. I mean, this was one of our products, and it, again, it passes that filter of hey, can we do this with just two people? Um, and you know, as it happens, we you know, knock on wood. Uh, and you, you, you only know about what you know about, but we haven't had any incidents that have gotten reported to us before the pandemic. There were something like, you know, 15 or 20 individual meetups happening all across the world every single week. Um, again, I, I suspect that we might be lucky and that the people in our community are just uniquely competent and they're self-starters. They have a lot of initiative They you know, they're going to blow the whistle, uh, you know, when things seem, you know, run afoul, but we just haven't, maybe we've gotten lucky. We just haven't had issues with that. Well, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like you're doing something right. And I mean, I think you're right. You, you, the, the, the audience self-selects, they're, a, they're a, a good group of people that are doing it for the right reasons. So there's some, some bond there that, that certainly helps. Are you up for a quick lightning round before I let you go of questions that, uh, I, uh, I ask everybody. So sure. Let's do it. I'd, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to have just a quick Kind of one or two word answers is, is good. Um, what is the slimiest trick a prospective acquirer tried to play on you? I'm guessing 
we can't talk about stripes. So was there any, were there other attempts at buying indie hackers early that uh, that were slimy? I will definitely not say slimy, but they were hard negotiators. They were hard negotiators. You know this this wasn't uh, this wasn't you know um, just you know Cinderella being taken to the ball. Um, I won't say more than that. I love the company that <laughs> that that has employed me. <laughs> But they're tough negotiators. They're hard. It was, it, you know, it was, we, we got the email from, you know, we were talking to Patrick Collison and then suddenly there was, you know, legal counsel for Stripe and, and we went and found our own attorney and mostly kind of passed it off in that direction. So not, not slimy, shrewd. I put it that way. Shrewd. Shrewd on both ends. Oh man. Now you got, you got me wondering what was so shrewd. That's what I want to know. All right. <laughs> what was the biggest mistake you made personally in the process of selling your company if you had a mulligan what would you do over you know maybe i want i want to be concrete but let me st- let me think about ways that i can do that you know maybe one of the biggest mistakes that i think we made was not in the process of negotiating but before negotiating, I think that we took a little bit too long to get serious about, you know, let's take some built to sell principles. We, we got, we, we, we took too long to get serious about figuring out uh, good monetization. I think we could have just basically made ourselves, you know, a much bigger financial target. Um, mm-hmm. And that was something that, you know, us not doing it wasn't a, a clear conscious deliberate decision it was it was just getting caught up in the moment of of unexpected success and getting serious a little bit too too late so that's maybe something that we we do faster Donna, another, what was uh, the lowest around. point you reached emotionally during the process of selling sorry say that one more time what was the lowest point you reached emotionally during the process of selling i think i'll be honest um i think that the the lowest point was the what if there was just a what if um, we sold and we were, like you said, only a few months old. Um, we were growing really quickly. Uh, even to this day, who knows what we would have done? We would have taken different different turns. Um, both of us ran lean. Both of us uh, you know, had a, a very long runway because we had easy consulting coming to us. Um, and we were growing really rapidly. So um, it's I, I wouldn't put it in terms of a regret, but there was like a like a dull ache. And it's and it's and it's always kind of uh it's always been there, but but I mean you know, can't can't complain. You know, all of our fears were uh, you know, nothing none of the none of the horror stories that we that we that we feared might happen came to pass. So so no regrets now. Interesting. One of the, one of the most common answers to that question is, "I wish I had done it sooner." Mm. In in your case, and again, I'm I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. This is, you don't have to confirm or deny, but there, there's maybe part of you that thinks maybe we sold a little too early. And I mean, eight months, eight months. You know how frequently <laughs> that's early. A blog, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard. It's just you, you know, and like I said, uh, we're we're in a place where we we kind of are interested in exploring ways to think about indie hackers as a business again and kind of stoke that fire so 
cool. we'll see we'll see there, there 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 was and still is a lot of potential it sounds like it sounds like it what was the highest moment you reached personally during the process of selling the highest moment was getting through the negotiations we we you know there was a bit of a high and just verifying this is the patrick collison from stripe um but you know it's 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 not real until it's real there was some high and you know um seeing the first the first offer numbers which again can't speak on it too soon but you know they 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 weren't they played hardball um but we got through all of it we got an attorney we 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 got made all of this stuff real and so the for me the highest point definitely was getting to the finish line where they were happy and we were happy and it was real and we signed documents right and and you know uh, a lot of uh, theory became practice. What resources did you turn to? Uh, a book, uh, a, a, you know, a, a conference to to help educate you in this process of selling against a fairly shrewd negotiator. <laughs> what, what did you turn to? Um, let me think. There, there are a couple of there are a couple of options. I mean, num- number one, we had a a, a very a seasoned lawyer that we reached out to um and we just sat and talked to her because she's done it a few times and so you know that's something that you can only you know you find the person or you don't find the person um all of the little details you know the the different ways that i'm not saying necessarily that we have you know equity or or not but all of that language all of the ways that these deals can be structured rsus and all this stuff this wasn't stuff that 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 we thought a lot about um, and so we kind of had to educate ourselves from the ground up. A lot of that's going to be just Google.com. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, very interestingly, there's there's a guy named uh, Patrick McKinsey. Uh, he's 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 kind of well known um, on Hacker News. I think his his username on Hacker News is, is Patio Eleven, and he actually uh, was an indie hacker. He, he created a couple of these like bootstrap companies that were making maybe ten thousand dollars a month. Became very popular, and then he got uh, he got hired at Stripe. And so he was on the inside of Stripe, but one of the things that he's really well known for is is writing, um, these, you know, these viral blog posts on how to negotiate. And so, and he, we learned later, was on the inside of Stripe, and Patrick Collison asked him, "Hey, should we acquire these indie hackers guys?" And he ultimately said yes. And <laughs> uh, we went and we found a bunch of his articles, and and he was like, "Hey, listen, you know, it's very it's very hard nosed." He's like, "Hey, listen, you know, th- these companies." You know they're going to pretend like you know it'll break the bank if if you you know if you ask for more. But like, listen, you're a drop in the bucket, and like they're just kind of going through the motions, and so you should go through the motions as well. And there should be no hard feelings. So um, I don't know if I'm getting I don't know if I'm getting Patrick uh, Patrick McKinsey in trouble now, but we <laughs> we came out a lot better um, having uh, kind of gone through uh, his his advice. I wish I could find the name of the article, but again, his you know patio eleven Patrick Patrick McKenzie he's, he's written some some viral posts on on how to negotiate salaries, and uh, you know we would have come out you know not quite as as good without without that aid. That's awesome. You had the ultimate mole inside. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll try to connect up to patio 11's uh, posts in the uh, the show notes to build the cell. You can see yeah. if you can find them. Um, Last question: What trophy did you buy yourself to commemorate this win? Well, let me see if you can see it. But we've got a we, we've got a lot of T-shirts um, for indie hackers. Um, I, you know, 
I'm I'm one of those people where I mentioned it before, but I'm I, I think I'm not I'm not a really big finish line guy. I'm not a really big ceremonial guy. I don't I don't tend to you know I I see it all as just a journey. So I I saw it as you know maybe the maybe the trophy was uh you know giving you know t- having conversations with 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 our mom and you know we decided hey we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pay her you know she she's doing uh actually I think in one month she's gonna be done with with she's gonna retire from a recruiting career um, but we're like you know hey the, the the trophy is gonna be that we're gonna send her a thousand bucks every month and you know not have to not even have to sweat it right it's just you know it's, it's money that you don't think about but that she really does think about um, small stuff like that but otherwise you know we'd already hit the ground running and it was just now we get to run faster that's awesome that's awesome i'm sure your mom is proud of both of you and uh i'm sure in a funny way she's loving the fact that you guys did it together i'm yeah. sure there were times where she thought you know I think it can be hard for parents to see their kids squabble over things when they're little kids, but to see them succeed as adults must be incredibly rewarding for her. And to go full circle, you, you mentioned in the beginning, you know, you know, did we haggle over, you know, what the percentages were going to be yeah. and, and who was going to get what? Um, and I and I, I said truthfully, we didn't, but you know, I highly, highly doubt that there is another set of siblings who bicker as much as we do and who, you know, when we were little, we would have all these little fights and now we have the adult version of fights. And, you know, we're, we're, we both have our hands on the steering wheel of something that's, that's really significant. So, um, I think that she was shocked. I think that she was shocked to to even know first off that we were working on it. Um, and, and certainly to know that, that somehow, you know, it was a, it was a good working relationship, but I think that, uh, in this weird way, being able to have zero filter, you know, and zero respect for boundaries um, has uh, has worked really well for us. So, you know, long may it continue. Yeah, long may it continue. And I would uh, I'd love to have you back again if uh, uh, if you scratch your next entrepreneurial itch at some point in the future. But Stripe's a great employer. Well, let's just leave on that note. That's exactly right. It's, uh, That's exactly right. It was great to do this. Where can people reach out to you if uh, if they want to say hi? I'm assuming Indie Hackers is a good place to start. Yeah, IndieHackers.com could could work out. Um, I am at Channing Allen on Twitter. And I think that's it. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll put all that in the show notes to Built the Self. Channing, thanks for doing this. Awesome. Thank you. Nice to meet you. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation between John and Channing. If you did, be sure you hit that subscribe button. If you love today's episode, then share this out with a friend or colleague who you feel like would truly enjoy listening to today's podcast. For show notes, including links to everything referenced in today's episode, along with that article that Channing mentioned at the end, you can head over to the show notes page, which can be found over at builttosell.com. If you know of someone who would be a great fit to be a guest right here on Built to Sell Radio, you can actually nominate them by heading over to builttosell.com slash nominate. There you'll have the chance to nominate either yourself or someone else to be a guest right here on the show with John. Special thanks to Dennis Labataglia for handling the audio engineering, and thank you to our community of certified value builders who help us bring our message to you. Our advisor community are experts in helping you build the value of your company. To get in touch with an advisor or learn how to become one yourself, head over to valuebuilder.com. 
I'm Colin Morgan. Talk to you again next week. 